Okay, good morning. My name is Amelia, uh, and I am the Children's Program Director here at the River. Um, I'm glad that you could join us today, so welcome. I came to this church, the River, about 14 years ago. And at the time, we had a location in Soho, and I remember that day very well. Because it was the day when the children were invited in the sanctuary. So very similar, like today. Today is a good day. And it was a good day too. So I remember this and everything is connected. But I notice that I tend to move from one happy moment to another. I like to skip to the good part. Just like TikTok videos, right? <laughs> I want to move past the difficult moments in my life rather quickly and hope to maintain a consistent good vibes throughout the seasons. Sometimes I wonder if anyone have similar ten tendencies to. So, can you help me with a show of your hand if you have cried lately in the last 24 hours? I have. In the last one week? What about laughing? How many of you have laughed in the last 24 hours? What about in the last one week? Almost everybody. That's very interesting. I wonder if you find it easier to admit that you have laughed rather than cried. I do. Now, people generally want to move, uh, want to have more positive emotions, right? I doubt that anybody has ever planned to be sad or have a bad day. In fact, I think many of us, as much as possible, we want to avoid feeling sad, avoid crying, maybe trying to control our anger. We want to be strong and not be a wimp. We have a long-stem belief that vulnerability and expressions of vulnerability is not a desired trait for survival or signs of a thriving organism. Charles Darwin said that tears are purposeless. We must look at weeping as an incidental result, as purposeless as the secretion of tears from a blow outside the eye. And when we think about intelligence, we a, lot, a lot of it, we usually refer to the mind. We recognize the great minds among us, we appreciate great thinkers, and we pay a lot for their expertise. In sciences, in engineering, economics, laws, etc., etc., And a large portion of our education, if not all, is about training the minds. Many of us spend 20, 30, 40 years training our minds, and this is good. I, I do believe that learning is a lifetime process. But how much time and effort do we spend training our emotions? Do we even consider our emotions as intelligence, something that needs attention 
or studying. And how do we value those who employ their bodies and emotions for work? Think about security guards, delivery persons, babysitters, social workers, etc. I find it sad sometimes that um, those that we trust to be compassionate and care for our closest and dearest people, our young children, our aging parents, they do not always get the appropriate respect or compensation in our society. I think we're culturally conditioned to believe that our minds are most valuable. And there's nothing that we cannot do without our minds. Well, research reveals that there are three key brain chemicals that affect how we handle uncertainties in life. Noradrenaline, acetylcholine, and dopamine. And a small change in this chemical balance could really affect the way we perceive our situations and make our decision. So, as much as we want to believe and depend on our intelligent minds, at some point we must admit that they're quite susceptible. And at times, they can also betray us. Now, when we have traumas or painful experiences, our mind is chemically bonded to these experiences, and it takes a lot of work to break it. We also tend to overestimate whatever it is that we think about. It is also said that our memory is easily wreaked with perceptions, not facts. Humans have the tendency to remember evidence that confirm their beliefs rather than those that disconfirm them. Now, in terms of relationship, our minds are not always that great either. Imagine a friend saying, I'm deeply sad. I just lost my dog. And if we are solely relying on our logical processes, one could say, well, everyone dies eventually. Did you know that about 950 dogs and cats are euthanized every day across the United States? Or if a friend said, I think I've put on some weight, would you say, well, you should have stopped eating that ice cream like last year? <laughs> you would be considered an awful, awful friend. Although you may think you're right, you may not have a lot of friends very soon. Now, our minds are really wonderful resources. They're great processor, they're problem solver, and we form our beliefs and our reasonings uh, with our minds, a very important and useful tool indeed. Charles gave a great message last week about having the right mindset can help put us in a better position to hear from God. Thinking of God as your friend rather than someone that you may be offending, can help set your life in a good, fruitful path. And I believe that. 
So today, I want to build upon it, and I want to invite you to also embrace your emotions and bodies as powerful resources. Being in tune with our feelings will also put us in a good, fruitful path. Emotions and bodies have been greatly misunderstood and undervalued, even among people of faith. There's perplexing relationship between faith and emotion. Emotions are often seen as unreliable or irrational, a distraction and a danger to our beliefs, which is again as a mind work. Bodies are another enigma. We can accept when the Bible said, our bodies are God's temple. But do we really consider our bodies as resources, as a way of knowing God? Or as liabilities? Sometimes in religion, the body, or they call the flesh, is more often considered as the one that stumbles us into sin and immorality. Between today, Palm Sunday, and next week, Easter, there's a very important period. Between the two celebrations, we have some difficult, dark, and sorrowful times. Jesus' Last Supper, the betrayal of Jesus, Jesus' arrest and crucifixion all happened during this week, the Holy Week. So if we just skip to the good part, we are going to miss a lot. So I want to pay attention to one particular event that hopefully helps us understand a little bit more about how Jesus does difficult emotions. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Another passage of the same events. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knew his death was coming. Jesus knew which of his friends will betray him, which of his friends would deny him. If we read the passages prior to this event, we would also read that Jesus was aware of all the challenges that were about to unfold. He understood that these were just temporary and that he would come back to life three days later. So this makes me think. So by using his mind, could Jesus possibly just, you know, reason his ways out of the emotion to minimize the sorrow? 
could he reason his ways out of all the false accusation and minimize the humiliation that were about to follow? I mean, that's what I would do. But instead, Jesus took the time and the space to be emotional. Jesus opened himself up to all the emotions and accepted the full experience that comes with the mission while staying engaged with God. And this is not the first time Jesus let himself be troubled. In fact, just a week prior to this event, this happened. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Wouldn't you ask the same thing? Why did Jesus weep? Why did he not spare himself and his friends from the sorrow and the pain as soon as possible? If I were Jesus and I knew that I could raise my friend back to life, I would have said, shh, don't cry. Don't be troubled. I'm here. I got this. But Jesus did not do that. He took his time. He let himself be moved and troubled, and he wept. As if being human and being emotional was something that he values, something that he wants to happen. And in that moment, Jesus was one with Mary. Jesus was one with his friends. And Jesus was connected in their grief. Recent studies show that somewhat paradoxically, accepting our emotions, even the negative ones, actually especially the negative ones, can offer some advantages. Sadness can actually help people improve their attention to details, reduce judgmental bias, increase perseverance, and promote generosity. An emerging research shows that those who have low acceptance of emotions or judging their negative emotions as problematic or bad, which includes something like denying, avoiding, suppressing of emotions, were linked to an increased negative effect and depressive symptoms in the long run. So, Many of you know that I grew up in Indonesia, so I want to share a little known fact about a tribe in Indonesia called the Torajans. When a Torajan dies, they are not taken away 
um, or buried or cremated within a few days or a few weeks. Unlike the practices we have in the West where you want to get it done as quickly as possible, the process can be delayed for many months, even years. There's one family I read who um, they kept their deceased father in an open coffin in their living room for 10 years. The family brought food, drink, cigarette, coffee regularly and talked to the body as if the father was still there. In the meantime, the family was saving money to have a proper funeral. And funerals there were larger than weddings. They are big celebration that involved the whole village. Sometimes funerals can take several weeks and can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you think they stop death at funeral, you're wrong. In a ritual known as manane, Torajan families tidy up the mummified bodies and their cave tomb every one or three years. Relatives who may have been dead for maybe well over a decade are removed from their crypts, cleaned and changed into a fresh set of clothes, decorated with spices and sprayed with their favorite perfume from head to toe. And during this ritual, you would often see a living relative exchanging a cigarette with their dead ones or take a selfie. I share this story not just to fascinate you or advise you how to grieve, <laughs> but rather to show what grief looks like when we have a different cultural context. Where death is not seen as the end, and grief is a comfortable emotional process, a sign of a secure relationship with the self, with each other, and with the unknown dimensions. Despite the strangeness of this ritual, there is wisdom in their grieving process, one that honors the bodies, the emotions, the relationships, and the humanity of it all. So, as we are entering the Holy Week, the most sacred period in the church calendar, I would like to invite you to observe this week with special solemnity as a time of devotion to the passion of Jesus Christ. And I have just a couple of suggestions. First is read and meditate on the passion. Spend some time connecting with Jesus and his story this week. Connect with his pain, his struggle, his sorrow, and humanity. Consider our emotions and bodies as resources, as ways of knowing God, so notice them. Pay close attention to the feelings, the sensations, that we may experience. Second is be intentional in connecting with your whole self regularly. 
As creative beings, we are often so focused on the outcome of our doing, the destinations of our processes, that we do not get to enjoy the journey and we miss out on feeling truly fulfilled. So if you have not done this already, this, may, this week may be a good time to start a mindfulness routine. Make time to silence your mind so that we can focus on just being. It could be a couple of minutes or an hour, or it could be part of your daily routine already. For example, when you drink your first cup of coffee or tea in the morning, Try to stay away from your phone or any other distraction. Close your eyes. Inhale the smell. Feel the warm vapor in your face. And drink slowly. Follow the journey of the coffee as it travels down into your stomach. Whatever you do, Try to experience it fully. Celebrations or griefs are opportunities to be in depth with our being. And if God is within us, then to be connected with all parts of our being is to becoming with God. So, let me pray for us. God, break our hearts with the things that break your hearts and delight our hearts with the things that delight your heart. Help us align our, our minds, our bodies, and our emotions so our senses can be fully alive with your presence, our hearts, Welcome your invitation with openness. And we can move and live and have our beings in ways that bring glory and fruits for ourselves, for each other, and the world. Amen.